Hey, this is Dimitri, and I'm the founder of Just Reach Out, and you are listening to the App Guy Podcast. The App Guy Podcast, straight from your host, Paul, the App Guy. Welcome to another episode of the App Guy Podcast. I'm your host, it's uh, Paul Kemp. So this is the show where I help those entrepreneurs, startup founders, even if you're working and you you are in, basically involved in a side project, uh, you're the person who's relevant for this show. Uh, many people have gone on to do amazing things. Uh, you know, I've just spoken with a, a fan of the show who has even uh, started up his own company and is flying to Silicon Valley to raise a ton of money. So it's wonderful that, you know, we have uh, an appster tribe who are, are passionate about Appreneurship, as I like to call it. So in this endeavor, there's many of you who are listening who will perhaps not be technical. In fact, I confess that I don't come from a technical background. I used to be a banker. So uh, I love meeting people that can help us non-technical people start technical companies. And so in this endeavor, I have uh, been introduced with a wonderful podcaster and a the, the host of the Scott Barstow show. Uh, he's a fellow podcaster. He's going to help us with uh, finding out how we can set up companies if we're non-technical. Scott, it's a real pleasure to welcome you on the App Guy podcast. Paul, thank you so much for asking me to be on. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Scott, I mean, first of all, let's, let's talk with fellow podcasters. You've got a great setup there. Um, t- tell us about first your podcast, because uh, I, f- I feel like we could learn a lot and maybe it's something we want to listen to. Absolutely. I started a podcast about... Um, I gosh, it's been nine or 10 months ago now, talking with primarily uh, founders of technology companies and exploring not only the backstory of the company, but also going in depth on the struggles and the challenges that they had uh, building out the actual product, whether that was uh, dealing with trying to find a technical co-founder or making mistakes in uh, building too much product or not enough or whatever the myriad number of mistakes that everybody makes. Um, my show is primarily uh, focused on just exploring that topic with technology product founders. So, Scott, uh, one of the biggest challenges I do feel that are faced by those listening uh, is finding a technical co-founder. And I have many examples of people coming to me and saying, look, I don't want to pay for a developer. I'd rather have someone who can become a co-founder and is as passionate about the project as I am uh, and will you know, be my technical co-founder. And he can or she can deal with all the um, you know, technical side. Uh, is that a big challenge that you find when you know, speaking with your audience? It is. And I think there's, I, I like to uh, divide this particular question up into really, I think, a, a non-technical founder. And I, uh, I hesitate to use that because I think if you're building a technology product company, you are a technologist, whether you want to be or not. But, we'll, uh, but it's useful for the distinction that, that we're talking about. And I think there's two ways to approach finding somebody to help you build out your product. One, as you mentioned, is to find a true co-founder. And in my experience, I think uh, what the mistake that a lot of people make is that they 
uh, sort of take the take the mode of speed dating. And they show up at a bunch of meetups and they kind of pitch their company and they hope to find somebody interesting that cares about it the way they do. And uh, they sort of rush to get married uh, and, and inevitably it ends poorly. And I think the, the way that I think about the technical co-founder role in particular is that generally I think you need to know that person before you've started thinking about the idea, or at the very least, they're involved extremely early in the process with you. Uh, that's a true techno, that's a true co-founder, somebody that's there with you at the beginning, that is um, strapped to the mast with you, believes in it the way you do. And those people don't, I don't, in my experience, you don't just typically find those people walking around on the street. It's a relationship process that you start you know, six, nine months ahead of when you might actually start building the product. It's getting to know somebody, getting to know their family, getting to know what makes them tick. All the things that are going to matter when uh, you're in the middle of the blizzard and you need somebody there with you that cares about it the way you do. Uh, I really think of it, uh, it's cliche, but I think you, you need to think of co-founders like a marriage and treat it that way. I think there's a there's a, a potentially different path to take as the, as the founder of a company if you've got your idea a bit more further along and you really just need somebody uh, to sort of step in and run the engineering on the product. Uh, I would encourage people to think of that as you're hiring really your lead engineer or you're hiring your chief technology officer, but you're not necessarily trying to find a co-founder. And the difference is, is that when you frame the discussion as, hey, I'm looking for a co-founder, that drags with it a certain expectation on how much equity that person will receive and how much influence they'll have in the direction of the company. Whereas if, whereas if you're hiring a lead engineer or a CTO, uh, that carries with it just in terms of the market. It's a very different set of expectations uh, in terms of how much com how much of the company you're going to have to give up, what the compensation package might look like, and all of those things. So it's it helps to frame the discussion. If you want somebody to be a true co-founder, just know that that means giving up a lot of the company, and that means getting married, as opposed to uh, perhaps looking for a lead technologist and making it more of just a true hire, if that makes any sense. It does. And I'd love to give people some real actionable advice. We do have a ton of people listening who are at that stage where they have an idea and uh, they uh, want to uh, you know, kind of build upon the idea, but uh, they, they sadly go out to the market, they've realized it's going to cost them you know, $100,000 or whatever it may be to hire an agency or to hire a developer, it's going to cost them you know, X. We're talking tens of thousands of dollars at least. So do you have an example of a company that maybe you've worked with recently, a founder who has had that challenge and has successfully managed to get married to a co-founder who they've found that's worked out really well? Are you able to walk us through a case study maybe or some example of someone doing this recently? That's a great question. Uh, I'm, I'm racking my brain uh, to think of a, a concrete example. Uh, I think there's a, there's a company here, I live in the Raleigh-Durham area of North Carolina, and 
there's a company here called Employ Us, and the founder of the company is a guy named Ryan O'Donnell. And uh, the he had a so he went through uh, the typical path that a lot of I'm sure your audience goes through, which is he had an idea, he tried to work with a contracting shop that went poorly, uh, and he kind of threw up his hands and was like. I don't know where to go next. And so he and I talked extensively about uh, like, how do you go find the right person to come alongside you? He had enough funding that he could afford to hire somebody. And I think that's an important step uh, is that, you know, if you're expecting uh, a co-founder, I don't think uh, expects to be compensated. They sort of work for free the way that you are at the beginning of the company. Uh, but when I had the conversation with Ryan, I really encouraged him to find somebody that was uh, that sort of thought about the future the way that he did, and was willing to take less now in return for more later. And I think the the conversation that he ended up having with the guy who is who is now the equivalent of his technical co-founder. Um, there were a lot of tests, a lot of gates that they went through at the beginning of the process. And it looked a lot like uh, an audition, honestly. So uh, what I encourage people to do is work alongside the person that you are contemplating giving this incredibly important role in your company. Ask them to work alongside you for a meaningful period of time with no commitment either way. Right. So they're going to invest time. You're going to invest time and uh, you're going to figure out if you can work together in that process. And so in Ryan's case, uh, he went through probably five or six people before eventually settling on the guy who's uh, who's working alongside him today. And they ended up, uh, you know, the relationship side worked. Uh, the work ethic was the same. And he was able to figure all of these things out through. Uh, honestly, just working alongside. And I think he eventually compensated him a bit uh, for some of that audition work. But the expectation was, look, we're, we're going to, these are going to, they're going to be hard times ahead. Um, I need to know that when things are hard, that we can work through the difficult times together rather than it getting contentious and blowing the whole thing apart. So I just encouraged him to set up some scenarios uh, that would sort of tease as much of that out as possible, inducing false pressure, inducing deadlines that were unrealistic, which everybody has in this in this process. So those are some of the things that come to mind immediately. Scott, that is genius. I love that piece of advice. And it's the first I've heard of that in terms of auditioning the potential technical co-founder. Would you actually be in a position to tell them it's an audition or do you kind of go more on under the, the radar and pretend? No, I think, yeah, uh, yeah that's, I, in my experience, it's best to be right up front. And I think uh, the kinds of people that you want working alongside you are people who can appreciate the fact that you're taking this seriously. And so I think if you have the conversation and frame it in such a way as to say, Look, I'm trying to understand if we can work together, and I would think you would want to do the same. Before we get married, let's go on a few dates, and let's uh, <laughs> let's spend some time together, uh, 
and let's have a fight or two and let's get in an argument and let's do let's act like we're going to act and work like we're going to work and let's see how that works and if it if we get to the end of this and it turns out that it doesn't work out then let's agree what it looks like to part ways i pay you you know well below market rate for the work that you've done i own the work product but uh the goal here the our both of our intents is to is to get to a uh a working relationship and one that we can understand that we can go forward with rather than uh let's all pile in and hope that it works uh and then six months later we've got a you know, we've got a park company and all the divestiture of ownership and all of the mess that that drags with it. You know, what I'm thinking of is uh, a previous company that I worked for and I gave uh, not ownership, but directorship to uh, one or two employees. And the feel good factor lasted maybe a few months and then it uh, started to decline, you know, that kind of wanting more um, so I'm wondering how, how long a term do you think this audition can last for, for it to be a genuine kind of uh, assessment? I think most people want to uh, get to some sort of decision within a few weeks. And so what typically happens if both, you know, assuming the person you're trying to uh, bring on as a co-founder has another job uh, or has other commitments that they have during sort of the regular week, a lot of times what I encourage people to do is, you know, work two or three Saturdays together and have very concrete things that you're trying to get done. Uh, so the goal is to, at the end of today, we want to deliver this feature. And so that means we've got to go through a design process. We've got to go through, uh, you know, requirements. We've got to think of how the user is going to interact with it. We've got to sketch some wireframes. We've got to argue about what makes sense. But at the end of the day today, we want to have, you know, the straw man of this feature built out. And so that somebody could click through and maybe use it a bit. Um, uh, we could put it in front of a user and see what they think. And having, I find that having concrete deliverables at each point where everybody understands what the goal line is, uh, and then uh, that tends to induce just conflict naturally. Uh, when you're working on something and deadlines are tight and you're trying to get something done, that's when people's true nature tends to come out. Um, and whether or not you understand that you're auditioning for the position or not, at some point in that process, you will be who you are. Uh, and I feel like that's what you're trying to expose. You're trying to show them who you are and you're trying to figure out who they are. And what's really interesting is I'd love to know uh, how you find about getting the sort of ideal contract in place for that arrangement, because clearly you're asking somebody to make a big commitment. And it, I'm guessing it could even be just as a side project working in the evening if they have a full time role uh, or um, working at weekends. But do you have any advice on where to find a good contract, say, to like agree this arrangement? That's a great question. <clears throat> I, I'm not an attorney and uh, I don't profess to understand all of it. Uh, but what I typically have in place, and I think if you're starting a technology company, 
there are a few things that you have to have in place regardless of how you go forward. One of them is intellectual property assignment. And the other is just, uh, you know, the fact that the company owns all of the work product, whether that's your, your work product or my work product, the agreement is that all the work we're doing, the company owns. And so I think one of the fundamentals that, a that a leader has to do one, you know, as probably right after company formation is have some very basic intellectual property agreements and maybe a contractor agreement uh, in place that they can just use to manage this engagement. Uh, there are myriad examples. You can go to LegalZoom uh, and there are another of, um, of other places online where you can download sample agreements. But of course, every jurisdiction is different and you have sort of the just the mess that is the legal system. Uh, so I always recommend that people have, have whoever their uh, corporate counsel is even if you get something from LegalZoom, have them review it and make sure there are no gaps, uh, just as a as a way of uh, ensuring that you're covered off. And let's try to help those who perhaps want to go along this road, but uh, like don't know where to go to meet these ideal people. Do you have any good tips for us on where to go online or events that would really help us meet the right sort of technical co-founders, potential technical co-founders? So my, my general recommendation when people ask that question is you need to be where these people are hanging out. And generally that looks like uh, if, you're, if you're in a reasonably active tech area, uh, almost every technologist is going to one or two meetups in the area. And so... Uh, I typically recommend you know, go to the meetups uh, of the quote unquote hot languages. And that would be something like, you know, you want to go to a Ruby meetup, you want to go to a Node.js meetup, uh, and you're really not. Uh, so those, that's, one, that's one area that's obvious. I think the other is uh, showing up at uh, mixers, whatever's going on in the entrepreneurial community uh, in your area, uh, whether that's. Uh, like in our area, we have this thing called exit event that, uh, that meets, uh, we meet once a month and it's usually at a pub somewhere and it's a great mix of founders, technologists. Uh, it's really a cool mix of people. And, uh, and so showing up at those kind of events and just having honest conversations about what you're up to. And not necessarily trying to pitch the company or hire the hire that person on the spot, but just talk about what you're doing and see who's interested, whose ears perk up when uh, you talk about the idea. And then if you run into somebody, somebody and you have a good conversation with them, I think the next thing is, you know, you send them a note and you have lunch or you have uh, early morning coffee and you have maybe a bit more in-depth conversation. And if you still like the conversation, then I think you start talking about the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in the market for uh, a technology, you know, somebody to run my technology uh, product. Uh, I don't know if you'd be interested in something like that, but if you were, here's how I'm thinking about it. And if you, if you don't know that, if you're not interested, do you know anybody who is? And, I think showing up at 
generally showing up at events that are more entrepreneurial in nature. Uh, there's more developers who are willing to, quote, take the leap at those events rather than big corporate events or things like that. Yeah, and I was really wondering as well, in your experience, have you met anyone who's perhaps made the mistake of not offering a co-founder position to someone that's more technical to balance out the equation? Because I can imagine the the kind of scenario is that, hey, I want the whole company to myself or, you know, maybe um, give some away for the uh, funding and to the investors. But I don't really want to give away, you know, a big chunk to a technical co-founder. So I'm going to go alone. And have you met any companies that have perhaps done that and then ultimately regretted their decision? No, I think I've met, I've probably met uh, too many companies to count on both sides of that question. Uh, so certainly, uh, there are lots of founders who uh, who don't think they need somebody else alongside them. Uh, but I, I remember I was sitting in a meeting, this was probably seven or eight years ago, with somebody from Google Ventures. Uh, and, and somebody asked the question, what do you look for in a founding team? And uh, the guy said, without hesitation, uh, he said, the best companies have founding teams of at least two, no more than three. And I think that's the way you need to think about it. I've tried to, I've tried to do my own thing and I happen to be, you know, I happen to be able to build software, but I'm not great at being able to run a marketing campaign or go sell the product. And I think you have to be self-aware enough to know that you can't do it all, especially if you achieve any measure of success you need somebody else alongside you uh, that's complementary to what you do uh, because there's no way you can make it alone. So I think my counsel to, to those who sort of want to keep it all, I think is at some point, uh, the, the quote is, you know, one can go fast, but two can go far. And I think the question is, do you want to go fast or do you want to go far? Yeah, and I'm thinking back to the over 500 episodes I've recorded with founders now on the App Guy podcast. And uh, I can safely say that the success stories are usually as a result of a team of two or three. And uh, that, uh, you know, a lot of founders do kind of praise their co founder who's been along and really, you know, they've. Helped uh, build the company together, uh, and actually, they've said that also it's you know not just for monetary reasons, you know the great revenue, but also the fact you've gone along the journey with someone else as well who uh, can share you know the ups and downs, and uh, you've got someone to you know as, as I say, it's a marriage, and uh, you've got someone to share that kind of journey with. Is, is that right? Yeah, I absolutely agree with that, and I've I've as I said, I've tried to build companies on my own. Uh, and I just feel like it's so hard. And there are days that are uh, so dark, where you feel like you don't even want to get out of bed, because nothing is going well. And you need that other person to sort of call your phone that day and say, you know, why aren't you at work? And, you know, let's get moving. And we're not gonna have a pity party. Let's get rolling. You know, we've got work to do today. And you're going to be that person on some days and your partner is going to be that person on other days. And it's invaluable. Uh, there, I don't believe that you can 
build a successful company. Uh, people have done it. Um, but by and large, the best companies are built uh, with partnerships. So, Scott, before we say goodbye, then one more question. And uh, this is more kind of switching gears and finding out about you. Uh, I would love to know, like, you know, someone who is a, a podcaster into technology, uh, you know, running a successful business. I wanted to know, like, what, uh, what your day is like, what, uh, you know, could you kind of describe to us a typical day? Because we'd love to know and get inside um, what it must feel like to, you know, have one of your days and uh, how different it must be to the kind of guys in, in corporate uh, who have got their typical nine to five. So what's a, scale, what's a day like for Scott Barstow? So a day for me, I've got a, I've got a few things that I work on. One is... Uh, my content offering, which is the podcast, and I've got a blog that I write uh, about this topic of building technology products as a non-technical founder. So that's a, that's a certain portion of my day. I also have a, I'm a part-time uh, venture partner in a venture capital firm out in California. So I do a, I do a bit of uh, deal work and technical diligence on deals that the, that the firm is looking at. And so uh, one of the great things about that is that you get to, uh, uh, just like you do on your show here, uh, I get to talk with amazing founders all the time about what they're working on. And I'm constantly amazed at the ideas that people come up with and the problems that they're solving that I just never think about in a given day uh, because that it doesn't occur in my life. So I don't really think about it. Um, so that, so I have the, the venture work uh, I've got, the, this content platform that I'm, that I'm slowly building. And then the third thing is, is that I do a lot of what I call fractional CTO work. So I will step into uh, startups that are either in trouble uh, where they've got a fire burning in some part of the business. And that could be, they've got a team that's not working well. They've got a, you know, the product is not coming together the way it should uh, they've got they've got to hire the next team member and they're not sure who they should be looking for. So I'll step in uh, into the middle of technology startups and uh, just get them through uh, whatever they're going through. And typically those in those engagements are they can be anywhere from two weeks to I've been on been on some as long as you know six to nine months uh, embedded inside the company working alongside them as, you know, a C-level uh, technology executive inside the company. So those are the things that generally make up my day. And, and Scott, I can't help but squeeze one more in. And that's, uh, I would love to know currently, what are your biggest challenges right now? What, in terms of all the stuff you're doing, uh, what are you really focusing on and what's causing you kind of headaches at night? Whew, uh, there's a lot of those. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so one of the things that that I that I really uh, struggle with is is just how to, and I know you've done a great job with this, is just how to create awareness for this project that I'm on, uh, this quest that I'm on to help non-technical founders not set all of their money on fire in the first six months of trying to build their company. It's something I feel. Uh, strongly about that there's there are paths through that problem that don't require you 
to burn all of your savings that yeah, you know that you save the last five years for uh, trying to get ready for this moment where you'd take your shot and then six months later because you made a bad mistake you made a bad decision, all that money is gone and you're going back to work uh, at some corporate job. So my, my, the thing I uh, lay awake at night trying to figure out is how to reach as many of those people as possible uh, and get the word out and really help as many of them as possible. I, I care deeply about people chasing their dream uh, and having a shot at it and my small part to play in that is the fact that I've been in this industry long enough to see uh, the mistakes that people make and they are the same generally. There are eight to 10 things that people do all day, every day that cause the most problems. And uh, so my, the thing that I try to figure out is how to get, uh, how to get out and, and get in front of as many of those people as possible. So I'm thinking, Scott, you mentioned eight things. We might have to post that somewhere that people can find, maybe on our show notes. Um, we can't finish the podcast teasing people about eight things they do wrong. Yeah, it's probably more than eight. <laughs> it's, probably, it's probably 25. Uh, eight's probably a simplification. But, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy to share some, some links with just the most common things that I see over and over again. Uh, I'm happy to do that with, uh, with you and your listeners. Oh, wonderful. Great. Well, I'll put that on the show notes. It's episode 511, which can be found at theappguy.co. Uh, theappguy.co and just look for Scott Barstow on, um, uh, you can search for that or it should be at the top of the uh, website. So Scott, uh, how can people best reach out and connect with you? What, what's the best way of getting in touch? So I am on every major social media platform at Scott Barstow. Uh, I've managed to squat on all of those over the years, I think. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, uh, any of those. Uh, certainly, I'm, on, I'm active on Twitter, so that's usually the best place to get a hold of me. Uh, and then you can uh, find all my content work at scottbarstow.com. That's S-C-O-T-T-B-A-R-S-T-O-W. Dot com and you can find my show the scott barstow show uh, on itunes or stitcher or wherever your favorite podcasts are found well scott it's lovely chatting with you in fact it's been one of the topics i've been meaning to cover uh, with the thousands that listen to this so um thank you so much for you know being part of uh, what we do and uh sharing your great content and all the best for um uh, for what you're doing in the future Thank you very much, Paul. It's been a pleasure being on. Okay, bye for now. So as we've finished this episode, you'll notice one big difference in this particular episode, and that is there's no sponsorship messages. I have made a conscious decision that even though uh, most of my uh, revenue actually came from sponsorship of the podcast, I've decided to uh, just take a pause and see how better the episodes uh, come across. Your own apreneur adventure is most important to me. And so I wanted to make sure I focused on the content, on getting great episodes out that you can really learn and get inspired by and feel that you're not alone in this uh, business. And so I, I wanted to also uh, kind of figure out uh, some topics over the coming 
episodes where we can like maybe condense those down into different series so like maybe doing a series about uh, you know finding beta testers or marketing or branding uh, all these different things and so to do that I just wanted to focus um, the episodes on the content only without getting distracted with uh, sponsorship so please let me know what your thoughts are about uh, removing these sponsorship messages are you delighted uh, did it bother you and uh, like I'd like to know please do send me an email it's paul at the appguy.co paul at the appguy.co or you can get me on twitter paul underscore s underscore kemp and also I now do not get uh, revenue from sponsorship so uh, I would love for you to help me uh, in these next uh, coming months by uh, either you know sharing because you know sharing is something is a good way of actually learning. So sharing any particular content messages or even the episode with uh, relevant people in your communities, with your influence, uh, and also a five-star review. Come on, you know, it's iTunes. Uh, they offer five-star reviews. And uh, uh, if you do feel like it's five-star worthy, then please do go and leave a review uh, or even a, a comment on Facebook or comment on Twitter it would really help out and I do read all those that I see uh, come through and so please do uh, help share the love share the uh, message share the content of this uh, podcast because if you can help uh, others then you help yourself as we know so thank you very much for listening to this do remember yeah what's it like to hear a podcast episode with no sponsorship messages and uh, look forward to getting another episode to you shortly bye for now